live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Boy, what a day. We will continue to keep you updated. The breaking stories, the... Uh, Shooting at the high school in Santa Clarita, California. That's about 40 miles north of L.A. It appears the situation is under control. Details are emerging, but the shooter appears to be a 15-year-old student. Initial reports were that he had taken his own life. Now they're backing off on that. That's kind of the fog of war. But we'll continue to bring you more information as that becomes available. Um, The roads have been a mess, as they frequently are. We'll continue to keep you updated on that. Lots of stuff to discuss today. Fast pay show. If you follow me on Twitter, and actually this next story, in and of itself, I sent this out this morning when I first saw it, that this this is a reason to follow me on Twitter because there's these stories out there that I find that I, I just, that they shake, it makes me shake my head and probably make you shake yours. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Now, here is the deal. Wagner's rule of life number four, absolutely nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. All right? This is a case where not one, not two, but three Indiana judges, they are judges, found out that nothing good happens in the parking lot of a white castle when the strip club has already closed. Right here, here is the story. Now, apparently, these are these are these are a bunch of judges that are at some state judicial conference. And as they describe after the judicial conference, they apparently do what a number of judges do. They go out and they decide to go bar hopping. So they are drinking. It's two guys. It's actually three guys and a woman. Okay, so this is a we we are not discriminating men and women. So what happens is they're out drinking. Um, Later on, you find out their blood alcohol levels were just incredible. One guy, it's like the blood alcohol level was point two one. Um, I, I, how do you get to point two one? I mean, I, I at, at that point, long before that, I suspect that I would be, you know, either passed out or throwing up on myself. But that that's what it was. The female judge, um, she refused. I'll tell you the story in a second. But she refused to have her blood alcohol tested. But she says she remembers nothing of the evening. So she's blackout blind drunk. Anyhow, they're they're bar hopping after this judicial conference, and I've got links to the story, lest you not believe me. So. <laughs> At the end of the evening, they decide that they're going to wrap up their evening of drinking as every member of the bench decides to do. They decide they're going to go to a strip club. So they head over to the strip club, apparently not being mindful of the fact that, you know, nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. They get there, and the strip club is closed. So it, it's already shut down for the evening. Now, again, free legal advice from recovering lawyer here. You, if you've been out boozing all night and you decide you're going to end the evening at a topless joint, 
You get to the strip club and it's closed. This is God's way of sending you a message that it's time to go back to the hotel. I mean, this is this is the hand of God coming in there and saying, whoa, you know, go back to the hotel. That is not what these three judges do. Instead of going back to the hotel and sleeping it off, they decide, let's go to the White Castle. You know, and I'm a big fan of White Castle, the hamburgers and stuff. Let's wrap up this evening and let's stumble on over to the White Castle. And that's where things happen, all right? This is apparently what happened is after trying to enter the Red Garter Gentleman's Club, but finding it was closed, they go to the nearby White Castle restaurant. Now I'm reading from the Indianapolis Star. Apparently what, what happened is they're standing outside the restaurant when these two other yo-yos drive past in a blue SUV. One, and then now it's a little bit unclear, but one of the yo-yos in the SUV apparently yells something at these judges who are drunk in the parking lot of the White Castle. One of the judges then responds by raising his middle finger and flipping off these guys. So you've got these drunken judges and you've got these other presumably junk, drunken yahoos all in the White Castle parking lot. At that point in time, after the one judge makes the obscene gesture at the Yahoos, they park their SUV, and the two guys get out of the car. A verbal altercation ensues. Now, at this point, this is God sending a second message to these judges, which is, back away. <laughs> okay, just, just, just back away. Nothing good is going to come of this. But apparently, a verbal altercation um, ensues. It turns violent when two of the judges then apparently get ready to bum rush these two guys. So they're yelling at each other, and then the judges start charging at these two idiots who had, you know, been past them. Okay, at this point in time, one of the judges and one of the yahoos, they get into a knockdown, drag out, pier six brawl in the parking lot of the White Castle, hitting and kicking each other. One of the other judges, together with the other Yahoo, they are wrestling around on the ground. All right. At one point in time, as one of the Yahoos is trying to get the judge off the other guy, um, what happens is the fight then ensues. It gets even worse. All right. At this point in time, after they're kicking and fighting each other, one of the Yahoos pulls out a gun and shoots one of the judges in the stomach. All right, according to court documents. Uh, the guy then goes over to the other judge and fires two more shots at him, hits him in the chest, then they flee the scene. So these judges, drunk off of out of their minds, they end up in the hospital being treated for gunshot wounds. The yahoos, you know, they flee the scene. They end up getting arrested Bottom line is, all these judges who survived this thing, they have now all been suspended by the Indiana State um, you know, Judicial Commission for, well, as the way they describe it in the headlines is uh, bringing discredit upon the judiciary. I bring this story up, again, because it, it demonstrates my principle that, you know, late at night, lots of liquor, strip club, not a good idea, late at night, 
lots of liquor, strip club already closed, heading to the parking lot at a White Castle. Nothing good can come of this. It also demonstrates that for everybody who thinks that, gee, once you get elected or appointed to be a judge, that that suddenly gains you maturity and wisdom, well, that this is another sort of indication that, that maybe, maybe not. And, you know, maybe somewhere along the line, one of these judges should have said, you know, may, maybe after we, we've had like the second 12 pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon beer or whatever it was that they were drinking, that maybe it's just kind of time to stumble on back to the hotel. But if you want to see the whole details of this story, including pictures of these folks, um, you can follow me on Twitter um, at Jeff Wagner 620. But once again, nothing good happens in the parking lot of a White Castle when the strip club has already closed go home when we come back speaking of home more and more milwaukee employees are bailing on the city we discuss stick around welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj a number of people are texting or emailing saying hey what's the status of the shooter in that california situation uh the the, the situation is apparently over in that the shooter initial reports, and this is what always happens when you have these breaking news stories. A couple of the initial reports suggested that the shooter had taken his own life. Um, now, now they're backing off on that. Now the reports are that the shooter is in custody. So, you know, we'll end up knowing the details. But again, this this is one of the reasons that I'm always I've learned over the years, kind of the hard way, to just be careful when you have these breaking news stories because these reports that come out and sometimes they they don't have all the details accurate. Accurate. Bottom line is that the, the situation now does appear to be under control. All right. WTMJ, Capco Metal Metal Stamping, proud to once again team up. This year, it's the 2019 Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. The holiday season is here. We need your help to make a difference for children in our community. For information on where to donate, please go to WTMJ.com. It's the Capco and WTMJ Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. I know, as in years past, we are going to be doing multiple appearances, taking my show on the road to give you opportunities to drop off toys. All right. Interesting piece in the local newspaper by, of all people, Mike Goucher, former TV anchor at Channel 4, and now he's at Marquette. The headline of the story says, Milwaukee City workers moved out in droves after the residency rule ended. Now, you will recall, Milwaukee, for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, was one of the few communities in the state that, as a condition of employment with the city, You had to live in the city. Most communities did not have that residency requirement. Milwaukee did. The idea with Milwaukee was they were afraid that, you know, if if people had a choice of where to live, uh, city employees would move out. Most communities do not have residency rules. In any event, a number of years ago, or at least a few years ago, the legislature did away with residency rules. So now, as a result, city employees cannot be forced to live in the city of Milwaukee. The story, you know, talks about, you know, what's happened since that law went into effect. And uh, the city then challenged the law. They lost in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So now city residents are, as a general rule, free to live where they want. What they are finding is in the last couple years, um, city employees are choosing to live outside the city. Um, data in August of 2019 suggests that right now 28%, so almost 
Well, pushing a third of the city's 6,400 employees now live outside the city. Now, that's just the, the employees. It's not just their families. Um, what they find in particular is that when it comes to police and firefighters, far greater numbers of police and firefighters are choosing to move. For example, um, 45%, 45% of police officers now live outside of the city. Now, this is uh, 45% of firefighters now live outside the city as well. And what they're finding is that this is not a trend that appears to be able to reverse itself anytime soon. Among police officers under the age of 40, younger police officers, more than half now reside outside of Milwaukee. In the last year alone, 173 more officers and their family chose to live outside the city. Okay, now why why is this? Well, it's, it's pretty easy to figure out. Um, you've got a challenged school system, and so you have particularly the younger people. My guess is they're starting families. They don't want to send their kids to MPS. Maybe they need bigger spaces for their families, and you can get more if you live in the suburbs. Maybe they are concerned, even if you're a fire and police firefighter or a police officer, my doubt is my have no doubt that they're probably concerned about, you know, the, the crime levels in the city and things like that. But there, there's no question that the mayor is upset about this. Employees are voting with their feet and they're saying we don't want to live in the city of Milwaukee. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's two ways to look at this. Some people look at this and say, this is terrible. See, this is what we said was going to happen when we got rid of residency rules. It's terrible. You know, we should require our employees to live within the city because if we give them a choice, they're going to move out and look what that does to the city's tax base. The flip side of this is that rather than complaining about the residency rules, what does it say about the city that so many of its employees want to get the heck out? And rather than saying, okay, well, you know, we, we need to have the legislature, you know, revamp this so we can put it back in a residency rule, shouldn't this be a red flag, a waving red flag to the mayor, to the common council? to the bureaucracy, that there are fundamental problems with the city that you got to solve to make it attractive for employees to want to live there. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, to me, that's how I look at this. And I admit I'm surprised as many employees have chosen to leave as have, but that tells me, all right, there's some substantial problems that are going on here, and those problems need to be addressed. Figure out why so many of the schools aren't good. Figure out why you've got the crime rate. Instead of simply saying to the employees, as a condition of your job, we want to hold you hostage. We discuss in just a minute. 414-799-1620, uh, 1-800-877-1620. Uh, back with your calls in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Jen in Milwaukee. Jen, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What's going on? What do you think? Um, I think it's about perception. Um, I live in the city. I was required to live in the city. I made the decision to stay. I live in the Sherman Park neighborhood, which mm-hmm. has the perception of being dangerous. I've never been broken into. 
um, never have experienced anything that would stand out that would make me want to move. My children are educated in the city of Milwaukee. I think they're, if you look at the statistics um, that were just pulled from like great schools, many, many of the best schools in the state are within the city of Milwaukee. I think it takes a little bit more effort to find that place for your child, but I think the opportunities are here. So why do you think so many city employees are bailing? I think that um, it's, again, the perception. I think, too, the fire and police see negative things every day. I think as the employer, they should help them deal with the trauma that they see every day and help them to realize it's not they should be part of a community and not want to move out of the community. So you think, and I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, you think it's more of a a marketing problem than anything else, that the employees just don't realize, that they, they think the grass is greener in Waukesha or in Ozaki County um, or in West Dallas or whatever, and it's, yes. it's, just, it's, just a, it's just it's a marketing issue. I think it's not, I wouldn't call it a marketing issue. Yeah, and I'm not trying issue. to be flip think, about it, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a perception issue. I think that the, they think the grass is greener. I think there's really many positive things that happen in the city. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, raising my family here and my children here, I think that they are um, given opportunities that they're not given in the suburbs. And I could talk a long time about that. And being outside of the state of Wisconsin and when um, other people hear how my children articulate themselves and how they talk and what they're involved in are like super impressed with the education that they're receiving. Good enough. Okay. Thanks for perspective. 414-799-1620. And again, I'm I'm not trying to be flip when I say a marketing issue. I, and I, I I understand what she's saying about perception at the same time. We, we, we talk a lot about reckless driving and, you know, the, the the out of control crime. And yes, there are some MPS schools that are, are very, very good. There's no question about it. But there's a lot that that aren't very, very good. And I guess that the bottom line is, if it is a, a quote unquote perception issue, you would think that, all right, you'd, you'd be able to target this and convince the firefighters and convince the police officers and convince the other city employees that, no, it's, it's not better to move to West Dallas. It's not better to move to Waukesha. I, I, that's why I guess I, I tend to think it's probably more fundamental than that. But 414-799-1620, let's talk to Alex in Mequon. Alex, you're in WTMJ. Uh, yeah, I was calling. I think a lot of uh, some people are also moving out as well as uh, the private schools in this city are getting more and more expensive. I went to Marquette High School, and uh, several of my friends, their parents were uh, chief of police and chief of fire. I know Tom Barrett's son went to Marquette High, and I think as those schools continue to rise and public schools on the outskirts get better and better in, com- in comparison, I think that's also another factor forcing people out as well. Yeah, I, I also, I mean, I think there is also the the whole issue of of value, for example, if you're, I mean, it's one thing if you're in your early 20s and you're single, once you get married, um, you start to have kids, you probably, maybe you want more space, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's just, it's it's easier to find a, a house that's got the yard if you're living, you know, in Waukesha County, for example, or Ozaki County, than it is if you're living in Milwaukee. 
So thanks to call 414-799-1620. Jeff, my wife has 29 years in at MPS. We still live in Milwaukee. The MPS schools are bad because of the parents, not the teachers. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and again, I'm not passing judgment one way or the other. It's just a comment that I think a lot of people are concerned about the school system and thinking, all right, you know, you if we've got kids, would you rather have them go to an MPS school or would you rather send them out to schools in Pewaukee? All right, MPS schools are bad, not because of the because of the parents, not the teachers. My daughter and her husband are both Milwaukee police officers, and I encourage them both to live outside of the city of Milwaukee as it is safer for them and the upbringing of their children would be better in suburban schools. It's just that simple. So, I mean, a, a safety issue for people who, who think crime doesn't matter. And by the way, I get the whole notion that you, you see crime spreading. And, and it's, if, if you live in Whitefish Bay or you live in Brown Deer or you live in West Dallas, that, that's not a guarantee that, you know, you're not going to be plagued by crime. It, it, it's not. That's just the reality. But I think it's probably fair to say that our urban areas are more troubled than some of the suburban areas. 414-799-1620. Josh on the south side. Hi, Josh. I, I have to admit this really frustrates me because I find conservatives and Republicans hypocrites. On one hand, they complain about overpaid bureaucrats. And by the way, public uh, public employees are also MPS teachers. How can you solve the problem if you're letting the employees with their big salaries leave the city? Well, I would, I would be okay. So you think the employee? You think? Uh, let me stop you. So you think the city employees and the cops and the firefighters who are moving out? You think they're hypocrites? Yes. Well, it's well, at why? Point, you can't make a society better if you don't have people coming in to try to change it. Well, so the same people who say that MPS schools are bad blame just. Well, no, I'm, 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 I'm curious as to why. Well, I, I don't know. I'm curious as to why they're they're hypocrites. I mean, you you work. You know, you're you as as a let's say as a firefighter or a teacher or a cop or, you know, a city employee, your, your, isn't your first interest to, you know, your quality of life and your wife and your family, why does it make you a hypocrite if you decide, yeah, I work in this place, but th- that's just my job. It's not I, a I, hypocrite probably is the wrong word, but the whole point is that they're getting compensated, yeah. and they are. My father was a public employee, mm-hmm. had to live in the city, it's not too much to ask of that to give them the freedom. This is a private sector. You don't want to be a police officer, teacher, or fireman in the city, and you want to go live in Caledonia or wherever. Go be one. You can be one there. There's another myth too that there's no residency around the country. There is. The other cities have it. Well, well, okay. In Wisconsin, well, let, let's talk about Wisconsin. Before this law went into effect, there were, I will say, a handful. There were like five or six cities. Most cities did not. What? most cities did not. What do you think was unique about Milwaukee that it needed it that most other communities didn't? I think it's a it's a race issue, and they also want to keep the money in. By the way, I always hear conservatives can criticize asking too much money for Madison. This is kind of pumping the money back in. I will say about real estate, since there's a housing shortage, it kind of stemmed a lot of the white, the lack for a better word, white flight, because there's not that much housing. Obviously not in their city, but they like the kind of areas next to the suburbs. But I just, it really makes me mad because it seems like a hypocritical, not the, not the teachers and policemen, but the commentators like yourself, forgive me, are kind of hypocritical because you criticize on one hand the overpaid public employees and want private sector, yet you're treating public employees like they're private sector, which they're not. Well, but, uh, but again, I see, but I think that's, I mean, I think that's disingenuous because it, we're, 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 first of all, we're, you're putting words in my mouth when I say overpaid, when you say overpaid public employees. I'm, I, I'm not suggesting that. That's, 
That's not it. The question becomes whether or not, you know, why it is. If the reality is that you have public employees who are leaving and you, if you want to criticize them for, for leaving, oh, you're, you're bailing on the communities. I, I don't know. I mean, do, do, do we understand that? Do we say, all right, we get why they're, they're doing it. They're doing it because they want better quality of life. And rather than, I guess, looking at them and saying, we need, we should treat you as prisoners. And we should say, as a condition of your employment, you have to be one of the few communities in the state where you have to live. Or do you have to maybe figure out, is there a more fundamental issue as to why it's causing people when you give them the choice to, to leave? Now, again, I, I understand the other, the local control issue. Should a city be able to say, uh, this is our rule, you don't have a right to leave. You, you are essentially a prisoner of your job. And that's a whole different issue that the Supreme Court has, has already decided. But right now, the debate is why, given the fact that they have the freedom to leave, why are so many leaving, and is there anything the city can do to stem that tide? Let's talk to Chris in Sherman Park. Hi, Chris. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Chris. Hello. Um, I was going to say it's unfortunate because I think if, you know, of the people who are trying to help make the community better um, leave, then obviously there's going to be issues. But it's also the matter of perception. Like one of the earlier callers said, I had a couple I knew back in, it was like either like 1999 or 2000, moved out to Brookfield because they had four or five kids and they thought the schools would be better out there. And within a year, their opinion was we made the biggest mistake of our lives. Okay, tell me why. Why did they think that? Because they felt that there many. It was much more hidden, but there were many of the same problems within the mm-hmm. schools that they faced within the Milwaukee school system, mm-hmm. as far as um, drug use and other things that were going on. And so mm-hmm. they felt that you know there were, it was a big issue with the. The grass was not really greener on the other side of the street. So did they decide to move back, or did they stay where they are? They did eventually move back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's it's interesting because, uh, on the one hand, you have parts of the city that are are thriving. You have, um, you know, you have all the condo development, for example, in the Third Ward and things like that. But I will tell you, matter of fact, I was just talking about this with somebody we were out to dinner the other night. I think one of the things that you are – are finding is is let's okay you're you're young you're out of college you know i how cool is it to live like in the third ward or something like that you get married you start to have kids and that that condo overlooking the the river all right well it's not really suitable it was great for you and your spouse it's not really suitable if you want to have a couple kids and and so then you start becoming concerned okay where are the better school systems and i like i say i understand there's some really good mps schools but there's a lot that really aren't very good and you say okay well the school system is better if i can move to shorewood or it's better if i can move to whitefish bay or if it's better if i can move to south milwaukee or or wherever Plus, you know, I can get I can get the space that I need. I can get more space, et cetera, et cetera. To me, it, it's something that ends up making sense. I guess my bigger point on all this is rather than complain about the public employees who are are leaving and making that decision, maybe what you need to do is figure out either incentives 
real incentives to get them to stay, or, or number two, figure out what is the underlying cause as to why they're leaving. And I understand a couple people called up and said, well, we, we think it's a, a perception. The lady, I, she said, I, I lived in Sherman Park all my life, never had a problem. Okay, well, that, 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 that's wonderful. But obviously, unless we think a lot of these city employees are complete idiots who are just, I, I don't know, just get caught up in different things and decide that they're going to bail, there's obviously something fundamental that is going on. And, and my only point all along has been, Maybe try to fix it. Figure out why it is that the employees would rather live in West Dallas or South Milwaukee or Shorewood or or Waukesha County. Why is that? Figure that out instead of wondering about, well, you know, what what about this law that gives them that flexibility? Figure out, because you would think most people want to live closer to their jobs, wouldn't you? I mean, you, you would think that all things being equal, you know, you, you'd want to live close to where you work and things like that. But obviously public employees aren't making that decision. So maybe that's where you have to address your concerns. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. You know, it's uh, I, I was listening to Melissa's report talking about how it's not just driving on the snow-covered roadways that's treacherous. You know, you got to watch out for deer and things like that. I, I, I understand it's it's only November 14th, and I understand it is too early to be whining about the weather. But I tell you, the, these white-knuckle drives. We, we talked on the program the other day about all the problems for people who were trying to come back from the Packers game on, on Sunday with the roads snow-covered slippery. Last night, I was at the Marquette basketball game downtown. Big win against Purdue. They, they fell way behind and then just completely shut down Purdue. And, and big win. But the game was an 8 o'clock game, so it didn't end till about 10.15. By the time I, I parked somewhere else, took the shuttle back. So by the time I got my car, it was probably about 11 o'clock at night. And it had been snowing for a good... T- a chunk of time i will tell you last night white knuckle drive cars not as bad as it was on sunday but cars in ditches as you got further north and stuff and it was just i kept thinking all right this is like the third or fourth white knuckle drive in the last couple weeks with snow covered slippery roads and heavy winds and all and it's it it's only november 14th it's kind of like oh for goodness sakes can we you know can we get a little bit of a break now i see our temperature is up to 28 and i understand it's supposed to be in the high 30s over the weekend which normally is still below where the average high is supposed to be i mean we're still we're still supposed to be getting highs in the upper 40s as an average but um, maybe at least it's going to get better for a little bit. But last night, just another rough night on the roadway if you were out and about when I happened to be out and about. All right, let me back into this story. The, the, the lead would be, if it's not your fault, who is to blame? All right, so that's the basic thing. If it's not your fault, who is to blame? Now, let me kind of back into this. Uh, the city of Baltimore is, is a mess. 
And, and I say this with a degree of regret because my I was born in Baltimore. My dad was from Baltimore. My mom was from Southern Maryland, like the Annapolis region. My my grandparents, you know, lived in a row house in in downtown Baltimore, a couple miles away from the uh, what was the old Memorial Stadium where the Colts back when they were the Baltimore Colts and the uh, Baltimore Orioles played. We moved here when I was about nine years old. So and I've been in Wisconsin ever since. But but what's happened to Baltimore over the last several decades has really just been just an absolute shame because Baltimore's been overrun with drug trade and with violent crime. It's really a city in decline. I think one of the best TV miniseries ever produced was the show, the HBO show, The Wire. Did you ever see The Wire? No. You've never seen The Wire. Okay. Well, it's it's worth it's worth seeing. It ran from 2002 to 2008. It was 5 years and it depicted the city of Baltimore. And the the first and it was the police. The first the reason they call it The Wire is the the first year or two was dedicated to these police who were trying to shut down all this drug trade in the city and what they did is they they do wiretaps. And and I kind of related to that because that's sort of what I did when I was in the US Attorney's office in the 80s because I I ran wiretaps myself I found it to be incredibly realistic and then over the course of the five years that they focused on different urban problems you know the, the drug trade and crime was always the overlying under the the underlying issue but they spent one year looking on at the media and one year looking at schools etc etc very very good program lots of people think it, it might be the best TV series ever it was created by a guy named David Simon. And if you wonder where the ideas for what was going on in Baltimore came from, I mean, is this, did they just pick Baltimore out of a hat? Well, no. The, the guy who wrote this, he, he worked for the major newspaper in Baltimore. He worked for the Baltimore Sun on the city desk for 12 years between the early 80s and the mid-1990s. He was the guy that wrote Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets. Um, and then, you know, this was the basis for Homicide, Life on the Street, the TV series. So he, he wrote about this stuff and talked about all this stuff from a perspective of he was a newspaper reporter, but he wasn't just imagining what was was going on. He was talking about, again, fictional characters, but based on real life characters. And, and that's the basis of it. And, and you saw just the city completely and totally out of control that for whatever reason, didn't matter who the mayor was, didn't matter what the race of the mayor was, didn't matter, you know, who, what the makeup of the common council was or the police department. It was something that was just kind of out of control. Now, I bring this up because there is a controversy involving the latest mayor of Baltimore. But I think it raises this larger issue that it's fair to ask, for example, of Milwaukee or Chicago or any other area. Now, here's the deal. Um, Crime in Baltimore has not, believe it or not, gotten better since the wire. It has gotten worse. So far this year in Baltimore, 296 people have been murdered. This puts the city on track to have more than 300 homicides for the fifth year in a row. And to give you a perspective, Baltimore has a population of more than 600,000 people. 300 homicides in a population of 600,000 is is percentage-wise per capita, it is a staggering number. It is it is a higher percentage than New York City. It's just it's a staggering staggering number. 
And what what happened is you had the guy who's the president and CEO of, of the Y, YMCA in Central Maryland. And what happened is one of his employees who worked as a youth sports coach was, was murdered last week. And the, the CEO from the Y comes out and he criticizes the city's inability to reduce violent crime rates. He said, this is, you know, it's, this has been going on. It's year after year. And we've got this out of control drug dealing and we've got all this crimes and we've got this huge homicide rate. And, you know, the, the city hasn't been able to do it. Well, interestingly, the, the new mayor, he's only been there since May. His name is Bernard Young. He has this weekly press conference that has now gone viral. And he, he's upset that he is being, or he or city leadership, is being called out for the alarming crime rate. He says it's not fair to blame him. He says there's not any lack of leadership. He says I'm not committing the murders. Um, what people need to understand, I'm the mayor, I'm not committing the murders. The police commissioner isn't committing the murders. The city council isn't committing the murders. How can you fault leadership? You know, it, we, we've had this 300-plus murders for five years. I don't see it's a lack of leadership. In other words, don't blame me. I'm not the guy that's out there pulling the trigger. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. When you look at any urban area, whether it's Baltimore or Chicago or Milwaukee, is it fair to blame leadership, political leadership, for out-of-control crime. We talk about reckless driving a lot in Milwaukee. We talk about the car thefts and the carjackings. We talk about violent crime and armed robberies. Homicides, thankfully, you know, the murder rate is, is down. That That's a good thing, unlike in Baltimore. But the mayor of Baltimore is saying, okay, yeah, I, I get it. I, lots of crime that's out there. It's not my fault. It's not a lack of leadership. I'm not the guy who's shooting people. All right, th- that's true. To an extent, right, the mayor and the president of the Common Council, they're not the ones out there blowing through intersections and, you know, and, and hitting four- and six-year-old kids. They're not the ones, you know, going in and, and robbing people at gunpoint. But when you look at an urban area that has an out-of-control crime rate, is it fair to blame, and, and, and again, by, by blame You understand they're not pulling the trigger, but is it fair to say, okay, it is a matter of leadership if this is going on? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and my answer would be, of course that's fair. Yeah, I understand you're not the guy that's committing the murder. You're not the guy that's pulling the trigger. You're not the guy that's robbing the candy store on the corner. But we elect officials to provide leadership on these issues. And if they're unable to get control on these issues, whether it's reckless driving, and in some cases, I think it's even policies that some of the elected officials have that have contributed to the problems. But is it fair to say, all right, yeah, you, you've got these problems, but, but yeah, the reason you get elected is because we expect you or we want you to come up with solutions. And if, if you don't come up with those solutions, yeah, it's fair to say there is a lack of leadership on your part. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Mayor Baltimore says, not my problem. Not, I'm sorry, not my fault. 
can't blame me, can't say there is a lack of leadership. I couldn't disagree more. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I admit, I was kind of surprised to see the mayor of Baltimore come out and say, what, what are you blaming me for? I, I mean, yeah, it's not leadership. Yes, we understand that we have an out-of-control crime problem, but you can't blame me. You can't blame the police chief. You can't blame the city council for a lack of leadership. We're not the ones that are committing the crimes. To which my response is, well, what do we elect people for? They, we, we elect them to figure out how to solve the problems, to provide leadership on these issues, don't we? David in Mequon. Hi, David. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. Um, yeah, a complete, I mean, exactly to your point, why are we having elections if you're not there to fix the problems? Um, and if we look at, you know, Baltimore has obviously have had, has had this issue now for quite a while where they've had horrendous mayors. Yep. Um, and and uh, I would say that the same thing is, you know, happening in San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco mm-hmm. is, is now turning to a cesspool because, you have a mayor that's overlooking everything with the homeless situation. Uh, same thing in L.A. Baltimore, you know, is was just ahead of the curve. That's the only difference. Baltimore was one of the first cities to kind of just literally fall apart, along with, like, Detroit and, and corruption and everything else. And, you know, it, it just shows you that when you have somebody of that kind of power in that position, and then they will take responsibility for trying to fix Right. What's broken? That that's just right. everything that's synonymous with. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, the job. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, see that that job. What you're supposed to do? Right. No, thanks for Yeah, again, it, it's me. Look, I understand that the mayor isn't the one that drives through the the intersection and hits and kills the four and six year old kid. I I understand that. I understand the mayor's not the one that pulls the trigger. I understand the mayor's not the one that's running the drug house on, on the corner. But you elect politicians to deal with what we all agree are problems. And David, by the way, I think your example of San Francisco is absolutely tremendous. If if San Francisco has been overwhelmed with home, the problem of homeless. If you think Tent City in Milwaukee was bad, well, ain't nothing compared to what's going on in San Francisco, where you have, because of policies, government policies, over the course of the last decade or more, that have taken this problem and made it worse to the point that, okay, you, they've made a decision that, okay, this isn't a quality of life issue. I, mean, I was telling you yesterday, the guy that got elected DA in San Francisco, he, he ran on a campaign of, I'm not going to enforce quality of life issues. I'm not going to enforce prostitution laws. I'm not going to enforce urinate, public urination on the sidewalks. I'm not going to enforce camping on the public sidewalks and in storefronts. I'm not going to enforce, I apologize for my French here, but I'm not going to enforce pooping on the sidewalk. I was telling that story yesterday. In San Francisco, last year they had, what, 27,000 incidents of where people complained about human excrement, the homeless people who were pooping on the sidewalks. This isn't dogs. These are homeless people that are doing this, and they simply just say, okay, well, we're not going to enforce that. We're going to let people do all that stuff. Well, yeah, that's to me a lack of leadership that leads to the problems that are out there. And, of course, I I think there are some policies that you have political leaders kick in that I think contributes to the thing and, and makes it worse. You will never convince me, for example, in Milwaukee, that those three, four, five years where we had the policy where we told 
told police officers that they were not allowed to give chase to people under almost every situation, that that didn't make that that did not encourage reckless driving. It didn't encourage mobile drug houses. That, I think, was a policy that contrib- actively contributed to making things worse. But you elect officials for, for leadership, don't you? Here's a text. Jeff, remember Rudy Giuliani. His leadership made New York a safer and cleaner place to live. And that is absolutely correct. Now, I understand that Rudy Giuliani has kind of become a caricature of himself. And I get it that the Rudy Giuliani of 2019 is one of these things where a lot of people roll their eyes and go, oh, my gosh, it's Rudy Giuliani again. I appreciate that. Rudy Giuliani, after he left the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York City and went on to become mayor, he he did a great job as the mayor of New York in trying to clean up the streets. New York was a much better, cleaner, safer city to live in because of the leadership that Rudy Giuliani provided. Now, again, I understand over the years, Rudy Giuliani has gone, gone on to become kind of a caricature. But, but if you don't think leadership matters, Giuliani is a classic example of that. Bob in Wauwatosa. Hi, Bob. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Well, of course it's a leadership problem, and everybody looks at the mayor, but it starts with the governor, then DPI, legislature on down. And my wife was a third-grade teacher. This is something Bill Dyke and I worked on this in 1974. We wanted to break up MPS into smaller units. If you have third-grade kids that can't read, they get into the fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Well, they can't read their history books, so guess what happens when they're in school? They start screwing around. Mm -hmm. They start screwing around They get bad grades. They get bad grades. Uh, I was working in the pharmacies in the inner city, and you look at some of these applications, and you can tell why kids don't get hired. So they don't get hired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they start making off the street. So they start as runners for drug people, uh, carjacking, stealing cars, all mm-hmm. these types of things. And the whole circle comes around and around. And, and where does it start? But the fact that we don't break that circle we spend our money on forums. We spend our money on trolleys. We cut the police department down, and nobody, either either the governor, DPI, or the local uh, Democrats or Republicans, will touch MPS mm-hmm. because it's the third rail. Right, exactly. And it's it's to your point. It's a system that perpetuates itself. Where if you had people who really exhibited leadership. You know, you'd come in there and, and you'd say, okay, what we're doing right now as a general rule isn't working. We have to do something to try to make a difference. Yep. Yep. No, thanks for the call. Bye. I, again, but this, I just, I, I was kind of stunned when I was reading this story that to ha- that there would be an elected official that would come out there and say, don't blame me for, for this. It's not a lack of leadership. Well, well, yeah, it is. And I appreciate that there's some problems that are intense and there's some problems that, you know, might not have solutions. But what you elect people for, isn't it, is, is to provide that leadership and to come up with the ideas and then, then you hold them accountable. All right. So, you, you you know, you want to advocate for something. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it doesn't. You push it. It doesn't work. Well, ultimately, you know, you're going to be the one responsible. Dave says, look, lack of leadership gets you homeless encampments under the highways. It gets you known drug houses that run day after day after day. It gets you felons on the loose of our streets. It gets you police officers who can't do their job because they're not let to do the job. That's what lack of leadership gets you. 
To which the answer is yes. And if you're going to run for an office, and I don't care whether it's county executive or mayor or governor, you know, what we're looking for is we want a degree of leadership. We want you to accomplish things. And if you can't, well, then maybe go do something else with yourself. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so yesterday... All the schools in the Shorewood School District were closed, and we discussed it on the program. I thought it was an overreaction, what, not to close the Shorewood High School, but to close all the other schools. But, but that's what they did. The schools are open today, and if you've been listening to our newscasts, some people aren't, aren't happy with, with that. Well, I think they say they, they acted too soon. I mean, here's the deal if, if you haven't been familiar with this story. Apparently, what happened is Shorewood Police got a report on, on Tuesday from one kid saying that he saw a quote-unquote hit list in another student's notebook. All right? Police were called. They came to investigate. They found the quote-unquote hit list in the boy's pocket. Okay, he's a student there. They also found a no gun, but they found a loaded magazine in the boy's backpack. Okay, so... They start investigating this, appropriately so. They found a gun associated with the magazine off campus. Apparently at no time was the gun in possession of the student. So I don't know what exactly that means, um, but but the kid didn't have the gun, didn't bring the gun to school, but he did bring the magazine. They find the hit list. So what happens is the school authorities, okay, so they do this investigation. Then what happened is they got a tip. Um, a tip was called into the FBI suggesting that a second student might have been involved. They investigated this. This is all going on Tuesday. And because of the timing, sure, we decided we're going to close our schools because we, we don't think that there's a second kid involved. We don't think that there's some mass plan. We think that all there is is all there is. But we want to be safe rather than sorry. And, and, and I don't fault them for that because, as I said yesterday, what happens is once these stories get out, it, it that there's a threat like this at a high school, uh, parents keep their kids home anyways. They, they, they do until everything has been resolved. My criticism of the school district was that they closed all the schools. I mean, my point was, you know, if you have something like this that happens at an, an MPS school, a high school, for example, all right, you, you close the high school. You, you don't close all the schools at MPS. But Shorewood did that in, in an exercise of caution. Here is the dazzling detail, and this is the launching point for this conversation. The kid, and I say kid, the student that they found in possession of the hit list and the loaded magazine, he was 14 years old. 14 years old. Now, on the heels of this story, there's a story that's being reported on various TV stations, including today's TMJ4, that at South Milwaukee High School, another student is in custody after administrators say a hit list was discovered on, on his person. According to officials, the list included names of other students and staff members. South Milwaukee Police Department was notified. They took the student accused of making the list into custody. Um, and you know they, they did this investigation, and I think that they've you know kind of determined that there was 
nothing to this, that they found this all broke on Monday. They didn't close schools in South Milwaukee or anything like that. They've notified the parents. And I think they took they came to the conclusion that, all right, that this wasn't really seriously a kid that was going to go shoot up the school. But they, they found that he had this hit list. All right. So in South Milwaukee, they don't I have I don't have the age of the student, but he's a high school student. Um, what they say in South Milwaukee is that the student accused of making the threat, having the hit list, faces expulsion and possible criminal charges. In Shorewood, they have referred the case to the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office for potential charges. Now, we know the kid in uh, the Shorewood situation is 14 years old. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. 14 years old, has what's called a hit list, has a loaded magazine, but no gun, gets caught with that. They close the schools for a day. Obviously, I mean, I would hope that they're looking towards expelling the kid. But here's what I want to discuss. Is this is this a criminal? Should the criminal authorities get involved? Should the DA's office issue charges? There's all sorts of different charges that you could come up with. Do we prosecute 14-year-olds for going to school and making up and drawing up hit lists, which appropriately, when when it's seen by other people, you know, causes school officials to freak out? I don't say that in a bad way. I don't say it in a pejorative way. I mean, it, it, it creates an incredible disruption. I'm sure people in Shorewood or at Kids in Shorewood were extremely upset yesterday or two days ago and are probably still upset to this day because it goes at the fundamental safety. But he's 14 years old. Do you prosecute him? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be, you bet you do, but I'm not sure there's going to be universal opinion on that. 414-799-1620. Is this a matter for the criminal justice system, whether it's juvenile court or whether it's, um, I don't know, trying to wave him into adult court or something like that, or... Is this just the disturbed kid? We need to get him help. We don't need to have consequences of taking him into juvenile court. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There's a wide range of things that the criminal justice system could do in a case like this. Wisconsin has a, a law that makes it a felony to issue a terrorist threat. Maybe what happened at Shorewood yesterday would fit that description. Certainly, you've got laws against disorderly conduct, and that would be be something. All right, here you have a 14-year-old that apparently did this. The case has been referred to the DA's office. Whether it's a juvenile court proceeding, whether it's an adult court proceeding, does the criminal justice system need to get involved? 414-799-1620. My answer is, is yeah. My, my answer is yeah. You, you can't. It's not a joke. It's like going to the airport. You know, I don't know that it was ever funny, but you don't go to the airport now and get in line and joke about, you know, having a bomb or a gun in your bag. You do not do that. Now, I understand it's a 14-year-old, but at the age of 14, I think you know that you don't bring a loaded magazine to school and walk around with a hit list that you're apparently showing people. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Mike. Uh, 100% he should be referred to the authorities. He had intent. He's got a list. He's got the bullets. 
it was just a matter of time until he came in with the gun. Mm-hmm. And if we slap him on the wrist and say, oh, you're only 14, that's way too bad, we'll be in the same position we are with these young kids that are stealing the cars and driving them all around. If mm-hmm. you catch them, oh, you're a young kid, that's way too bad. You know, if we don't do anything, we let them go. Well, well, think about the disruption that this kid caused. I mean, all the schools in Shorewood were closed yesterday, so no kids went to school. Um, and even the kids that are going back today, my guess is that some of them are a little bit apprehensive because even though the authorities say, okay, there's nothing to see here, nothing to worry about, well, you know they're probably freaked out that there's a kid that was walking around with a hit list, and they're wondering, are there more people like this that are out there? Yeah, there are probably way too many kids today who are just really leery about going back to school, and how can a child learn in that kind of environment? And if we don't do something to stop this and stop it right away, it's just going to fester and there will be more. All of this stuff, you know, you're going to have a copycat, which you probably did today in South Milwaukee, and it will continue unless something is done to really hammer these kids. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. No, thanks to call. Now the South and just in the, the South Milwaukee one was apparently earlier this week, so it predated the Shorewood one. But but the, I understand the point. You're you're exactly right. My guess is there might be some other copycats that are out there. Now I I don't know anything about this kid. Obviously, the kid is disturbed to an extent that you you prepare a hit list and walk around with a magazine. So there, there's issues there, and I'm not suggesting that you you blow that off and and you don't say okay he's 14 years old let's try to figure out why he behaved in this antisocial fashion so i'm not you know against doing whatever you need to do to try to stop him from becoming some like mass bomber later on at the same time though i think there needs to be consequences this is a big deal and so often and this is one of the frustrating things to me we we have these these school threats and everybody says, oh, this is terrible. We've got to come down on this like a ton of bricks, all this type of stuff. And then once they catch the person that's responsible, that the reaction is, oh, well, he's just kind of misunderstood or he was joking around or, you know, we, we don't want to like end up ruining his life. Well, I don't want to ruin his life. But at the same time, I want to punish him for what he did. And I also want to send a message to other people that if you do this, if you, it's not funny, it's not amusing, and if you do this, there are going to be consequences, and, and maybe other people, you know, hear about that, and they think, well, okay, maybe this isn't a joke, and I shouldn't do it. Let's talk to Aaron in Cedarburg. Hi, Aaron, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, I think just agree with what a lot of the points have been made so far, is I think it's kind of twofold, is, is one, I agree with you, there has to be consequences. I mean, making threats like this, and as a caller before stated, how can kids learn this environment? Um, I do think you have to have consequences. Mm-hmm. I think just in this day and age, <clears throat> with how serious this is and how prevalent it is, is this has to be stopped, period. No yeah. tolerance whatsoever. Secondly, we need to understand, and he has to go through counseling or some type of therapy. Okay, are you being bullied? Or is there something going on in your life? Why are you acting kind of like this? So I think it's twofold. It's one is the consequences. Make sure other kids that are thinking about similar actions like this stop them. Absolutely right. cannot happen, period. But then also we need to help this kid understand why and really go that route as well, too. So I think it's really the, kind of a twofold situation. Well, and, and, and thanks for calling. And again, you can do that, for example, in in, in the context of, of a criminal type of proceeding. You, you charge the kid in juvenile court, for example. And I, and, and I think you also... 
See, this is one where we, you know, we talk about like zero tolerance a lot. And, and, and to me, the zero tolerance is you, when things like this happen, you have to, have to, have to, you know, bring some form of criminal charges. That, that's the zero tolerance policy. We're not going to look the other way. Where you have to have a little bit of flexibility is you look at it and you say, okay, what, what are we going to do here? Are we going to, you know, bring terror, making a terrorist charge to try and try to hammer them with a felony and wave them into adult court if that's even possible? I, you know, or are we going to say, okay, maybe this is an appropriate case for the juvenile justice system where we get the kid into the system and yes, we impose some penalties and we also try to get some counseling or something like that. That's where I think the discretion comes in. But I, I don't think you can just walk away from this. I don't think you can simply say, okay, well, the school is going to have discipline. The school is going to suspend the kid. Well, I hope the school suspends the kid. The school is going to try to expel the kid. Well, okay, I hope the school tries to expel the kid because you know everybody at Shorewood knows who did this. I mean, you know everybody who just did, it sure, it knows who did this. If they didn't know yesterday, they're going to know in the next day or two. I mean, you know who was it, who was it that was making the list. And if you happen, it's one of your kids, for example, that happened to be, you know, his or her name, if it happened to end up on that list at Shorewood or at South Milwaukee. I mean, how, how do they feel going back that you know that one of their fellow classmates had their name, whether he was serious or not, had their name included on a hit list? Well, you, you know, it, it's not fair to those other kids to have this kid continue to, hey, we gave you a one-week suspension out of school. I think you have to expel them and you have to kind of move on. I, I appreciate that. I also think that you have to do something more than simply do that. You have to get them into the criminal justice system, if nothing else, to get them a record. And, oh, what are you saying, a record that will follow them? Well, yeah. I, I mean, right, if you've got somebody that goes to school with a hit list and a loaded magazine, right, yeah, I want to know. I think it's an important thing to know that if two years from now, you know, the kid ends up walking into a Seven Eleven and sticks a real gun in somebody's face and holds it up. That That's important to know that there is a track record of this. Try to get the kid help. I get it. All in favor of that, but hold him accountable at the same time. It's not too much to ask. And, yeah, I think that's got to be the policy. Whenever these things happen, we're going to charge. What you charge, well, okay, that's where I think the discretion comes in. But you can't simply say, oh, we're just going to let the school handle it. That's not good enough for the disruption that this causes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagno. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Teen Challenge is an organization that was originally founded in New York back in 1958. It was designed to help young adults who were struggling with drug addiction and gang affiliations. Trying to design to kind of straighten them out. Um, the in Milwaukee, the, the teen challenge concept really came here in the early 1980s as adult and teen challenge. And these are, again, programs designed to help both adults and teenagers who are struggling with addiction issues as things like that. This is it is a faith based type of program which, again, has had an incredible amount of success over the years. The, the first Milwaukee chapter founded in 1983, and it's seen incredible growth since then. 
Uh, there is a huge fundraising event tonight at the Italian Community Center. They've got a silent auction, etc., etc. And the keynote speaker is going to be a guy named Mike Lindell. Now, I've been a spokesperson for the My Pillow brand products for the last couple of years, and you've heard me talk a little bit about Mike Lindell. You perhaps seen him on television talking about his products, but he's also got a very fascinating backstory, and he's a big supporter of Adult and Teen Challenge. He's in town, and we're joined now by Mike Lindell, the founder and CEO of MyPillow. My Mike, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me on. Sure. Yeah, I'm excited to get to Milwaukee tonight, and uh, I used to be a crack cocaine addict, so I'm well-versed in the addiction. Well, why is Teen and Adult Challenge so important to you? They, they are the number one treatment centers in the country. Um, secular centers, I'm going to be really quite frank, is they do not work. Um, I, I've been, I've, since I quit everything on January 16, 2009, I've, uh, actually, I have a platform coming out called the Lindo Recovery Network, and I'm going to be, I've been at over 3,500 treatment centers, faith-based centers in this country that actually work. Teen Challenge is the number one. The success rate going through a Teen Challenge of uh, of getting your heart restored and getting off your uh, your drugs or alcohol, getting set free, are amazing. I, I'd say 75, 80% on up versus you get into a secular center is 20% on down. And it's just, it's not even close. Eh? Right now, addiction, this country preys on addiction. You know, by AdWords, addiction's a disease and you should cash in your 401k or and uh, if you have insurance, you can get it for your loved one. No, addiction comes from wounds, comes from fatherlessness, comes from trauma, and things that affect you in childhood or, or like I say, trauma. And that's what Teen Challenge, they address those wounds, and they get you to where you walk out of there and you have a platform of God. You have a platform of Jesus where you, you get, you you don't, uh, and it, it, it's just successful. It's uh, my passion. I just want to give back and help them, and that's why I'm coming to Milwaukee tonight. Now, Mike, for, for people who, I mean, I think a lot of people, pretty much everybody's probably heard of, of my pillow and the various products and all, but maybe some people aren't familiar with, with your backstory, which is an incredibly interesting story. Could you share, just a, give me the Reader's Digest version for people who aren't familiar with yeah. that? Yeah, well, I come from a, a family divorce when I was seven years old. I was the oldest child, and I went back when divorces weren't common, and I was put into a new school, and I either would show off to people, like, jump, hey, watch me jump out of this bus, or I couldn't talk to people. I was very, very shy. I think a lot of people get sort of stuff that happens in childhood. You want to fit in, or you want to, um, um, you know, you have the, you, this self-worth. I had a self-worth problem, and I got into cocaine in the 1980s, Boy, then I could talk your ear off you. And then uh, that switched to crack in the year 2000. So uh, everybody knows my my pillow story, but I had a you know severe addiction, a compulsive gamble, all kinds of addictions. But crack cocaine throughout the you know up until January 16, 2009, and that ran, ran parallel. I invented my pillow in 2004. So I even got up to the point where the drug dealers did an intervention on me, and that's part of the story I'll be telling tonight. The I happened in Minneapolis. I was up for 14 days, and I, the drug dealers had all got together. Three of them, I come out of the room. I was living down in the hood in Minneapolis, and I said, what are you guys doing? The one guy says, "We're Mike's been up for 14 days. We're cutting him off, and it was kind of like an intervention by drug dealers. And they, <laughs> two, of them, two of them left. The one guy sat up and tried to wait me out, and he finally fell asleep, and I went down to the streets of Minneapolis, and, and I couldn't get crack anywhere, and I came back upstairs at 2.30 in the morning, 
and I and he said, "Give me your phone. I'm going to take a picture." He go and he took a picture of me, and he goes, "You're going to need that for your book." He said, "You've been telling us for years that this my pillow is just a platform for God, and you're going to come back and help us all someday get out of this addiction and better our lives, and we're not going to let you die on us." So I was basically their hope, and. And uh, when God set me free of all my addictions and, and uh, the best, you know, right now, I just for me to go out and vet and uh, the best places for people to get help, there's nothing facing our country worse than addiction. Addiction affects every single one of us. It doesn't matter how many forks we eat with. It's also, it's a problem that I think a lot of people don't want to confront from time to time. It's like, okay, let's let's try to pretend that this isn't as bad as we think it is. And the truth is, I mean, in many cases, if you can't conquer your addictions, you end up dead, you end up in prison. It's a road right. to nowhere unless you can get your, yourself straightened out. Right, and it's got, and you've got to have hope that works. It's, you know, you've got to have things that work, that work, and Teen Challenge is one of the ones that work, and they, and... You know, the addiction right now, you have kids, you know, kids dying right now. This, this epidemic we're facing is like nothing, nothing we've ever been through. And, and I believe it's part of you using that, uh, as this time in our country's history to get, get everybody, get our schools back to God and get people, people in addiction are looking for hope. They're the most vulnerable where they will take, you know, Hey, just let us know where we can go. Where is that hope? And then you have places like Teen Challenge, Salvation Army, Union Gospel, the faith-based treatment centers. Because, like you say, I think everyone on that's listening to your show right now knows someone that's either either died from addiction or is affected by someone that is, is addicted or they're addicted themselves. Because it became such a, um, you know, an epidemic in our country, and it goes back to family values too. They did a they did a poll in a prison in Kansas. Uh, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, they said, how many people do you think in the prison, these are felons now, where both their parents uh, got together, got married, planned to have their child, had their child, and were still married to that point? The percentage was zero. Zero percent. It just shows you how strong family values are and God and stuff. In the, and, and that's where uh, Teen Challenge, I can tell people out there, you get someone in a faith-based treatment center and they go, oh, I don't want to spend that much time. Think of it like as an apprenticeship on life. You're going in, how much time would you spend to be like a carpenter or be whatever? And here you go in and you learn how they teach you how to, how to live, you know, live without the, that you don't need the mask for your pain anymore. That's all addiction is. It's, it's a false courage and it's a, it's a big lie. Mike Lindell, founder, CEO of MyPillow, but in town tonight to talk and raise money for adult and teen challenge. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. And I, I know it's going to be a compelling presentation tonight and welcome to Milwaukee. Oh, thanks a lot. God bless y'all. Take care. That's Mike Lindell. And again, kind of a compelling, compelling story and the adult and teen challenge makes you know no apologies it is a it is a faith-based type of program and you heard mike just talking about how you know in, in his research and things like that he's, he's found that in an effort to deal with addictions the faith-based programs the non-secular programs have a lot higher rate of success i i don't know one way or the other but i do know i i do know that the the effects of of drugs 
and alcohol abuse. It's just, it is a devastating thing in our society. I mean, my my background, I think many of you know, I mean, I started out as a narcotics prosecutor. And if you could see the way that this fascination that we have in this country, and I I don't care what the drugs are, whether it's powder cocaine or crack cocaine or, or heroin or opioids or methamphetamine or whatever, if you could see the way it just destroy our fascination with drugs, if you can see the way it just destroys families. And I understand that there's some people who think that the war on drugs and criminalizing it isn't the way to go about it. Well, we can debate that at some point in time. But I think that we should all agree that if you can eliminate people's dependency or the desire to be dependent on these drugs, the world becomes a much better place. And one of the really, really scary things that's out there now, and you see this with you know, the opioid crisis, is the, the fact that you, know, you look at the drug deaths just in Milwaukee County alone, and it's because Right. People don't know what it is that they're buying. They don't know what the stuff that they're taking has been cut with. They don't know what the concentration is. And so, you know, we'll have those stories where in any given weekend you might have three or four or five or more overdose deaths. It's just unacceptable. So um, anything, anything that can be done to, again, help people kick the habits and eliminate dependency. I think we all need to be in for of, and clearly Adult and Teen Challenge is one of these really positive programs that works if people are appropriately motivated. And big event tonight at the Italian Community Center, um, just to kind of talk about that. So thanks to Mike Lindell, founder and CEO of MyPillow, for joining me. This is Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. Okay, Gru, I did not ask you to remind me of this, but I have made a note. I, I could not let the show the show end without, I don't know, making an acknowledgement. Tonight, today's my wife's birthday. Happy oh, birthday, hey, darling. Love that? you very much. Absolutely. Yeah, it, 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 it is. We've... Uh, um, and, and you see, here's the problem for husbands wanting to buy their 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 wives gifts. Our anniversary is at the end of September. So, okay, I, I think I did okay. I got a, got a good anniversary gift. And then you've got, of course, Christmas coming up, and then you want to do something good for Christmas. And then, of course, her birthday is in November. So in the space of, like, three months, i got to come up with, like, three good gifts. Now, she keeps saying, don't buy me anything, but you're going to get married sometime next year. Let me give you some advice from the, the older but wiser guy here. When your your wife says... Oh, I don't. You don't need to get me anything for our anniversary. You don't need to get me anything for Christmas. You don't need to get anything for my birthday. Don't believe her. <laughs> right? Oh no, you got to keep like a notepad and oh, throughout, the, throughout I, those nine months, you got to take notes on whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, but but all right. I, I had a I had a really good gift for her birthday. I got I'm gonna, I'm, I got diamond earrings. I mean that you can never. I have a, a friend of mine who I was talking to, and, and he actually. And this is I will pass on this advice to you just between us and anybody's listening. Um, if you're ever like trying to figure out what a gift is, you can never go wrong with jewelry. That, that's that, that's my buddy Mike said, you can never go wrong with jewelry, you know, and, and that's it. But at the same time, you know, you want to, you know, you, you want to try to figure this out. So I, I was trying to figure out something, just something fun. And I, I, I wanted, I, I, I wanted her. We we go we go out to a lot of events and stuff, and I'm always hearing I don't have anything to wear, so I, I wanted to get her an outfit. But I, like I'm gonna, I, I this is another piece of advice. I, I would never try to buy my my wife clothes just because. 
well, she dresses me, not the other way around. You know, it, it's just so, I mean, I wouldn't even begin to know where to start. So you, you want to give, so I gave her some money to go buy this. This was a gift, but I, I thought you had to have something else. So um, I actually, I'm pretty happy with myself today because my wife is one of those people who's a huge fan of like the Hallmark Christmas movies to the point that they're like always on, you know, one after another after another. Right. But they have, um, I found... I, I found all sorts of doodads with like the recognized like there are pairs of socks that one on the bottom of one foot it says if you can read this and then on the bottom of the other foot it says I'm watching the Hallmark Channel Christmas movies and and a like a coffee mug that says that and a a shirt that says this is my shirt for watching the Hallmark Christmas movie so I thought it was at least a little bit clever and a little bit personal in addition to here's some money go buy yourself an outfit and I assume she you already gave her the earrings this morning you're not already spilling the beans oh no no she got the earrings for her the earrings were for our anniversary in September so it was the earrings no no I'm not spilling the beans yeah and this morning, the Hallmark stuff and all that, that came out. But so I, I, I think I did okay, but now Christmas looms. <laughs> and I, and it's kind of like it's right around the corner. Christmas, it's up. Christmas looms. So I got to figure that out. Okay. Speaking of Christmas looming, I have breaking news announcement for the last four years. We around the holiday season have done our WTMJ holiday radio show. For the first two years that we did it, it was takeoffs on um, on, on unknown Christmas stories. One year it was uh, The Christmas Carol. One year it was uh, It's a Wonderful Life. The last two years they've been like independently, we've written our own, and that's the the royal we, uh, Christmas stories. So we are, a lot of people have been asking, are we doing the holiday radio show for a fifth year? And the answer is yes, but it's a little bit different this year. So here's the deal. We are inviting you to join us for our annual holiday radio show. We perform it live, the WTMJ players, and then we tape it for broadcast over the holidays. The show is going to be taped Thursday, December 5th. This year we have a new location. This year, it's going to be at the Italian Community Center in Milwaukee's Third Ward. Now, I'm just, because we're honest with everybody, here's what. We've done it at Turner Hall in the past. And Turner Hall is a wonderful facility. Love Turner Hall. But parking was an issue. You have to pay to park down there. At the Italian Community Center, the parking is free. So for for people who might have been put off by having to park in that area, free parking in addition, um, you know, Turner Hall, you have to walk up like long sets of stairs to get to that upstairs area and then walk down them again. All right, the Italian Community Center don't have that issue. So our holiday radio show, Thursday, December 5th at the Italian Community Center in Milwaukee's Third Ward. Doors open at 6. The show starts at 7. Free parking, $25 per ticket. We're ringing in the holiday season. This year it's different with game shows and skits, and we want you to be there. Get your tickets now for this exclusive event. You get the tickets by going to WTMJ.com. All ticket sales, and again, the tickets are 25 bucks a piece. all ticket sales help support CapGo and WTMJ Radio's Kids to Kids Toy Drive. It's the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Capri Senior Communities, the Bartolotta Restaurants, and VMP West Dallas. So again, 
tickets have just gone on sale and these we pretty much sold out the, the last several years this year like i say italian community center so it is a new venue um free parking which i know is an attraction doors open at six show starts at seven 25 bucks per ticket thursday december 5th at the italian community center Get your tickets now, available at WTMJ.com. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm always, I, I'm, I'm always sympathetic to the news reporters who make those mistakes. You know, there's, in, in many TV stations... And in, I think, most major newspapers that, that run like obituaries of famous people, what, what they do is some of them, and this is kind of freaky, but it makes sense, some of them are pre-written. You know, if, if you, I, I don't know, if there's somebody that gets to a certain age or, or whatever, you, you know, inevitably it's going to happen. And so, you know, when the person dies, you, you want to be in a position where you can, you can go with this and get it out right away. And then you just kind of fill in the details of the death. So there's a lot of these obituaries which are, are pre-written. I mean, for example, President Carter, who's, you know, in, in ill health, the oldest living president. I mean, my guess is sitting in all sorts of folders are, are, are things that are kind of ready to go, highlighting, you know, the Jimmy Carter's career and life and things like that. So, and you, you hope President Carter is with us for another 10 years. But, you know, Queen Elizabeth, my guess is there's all sorts of folders there, you know, that are, that are just kind of ready to go. And every once in a while, somebody slips up and the, those those get made public. It gets put up on a website or something like that. And you go, oh, my goodness gracious. You know, why were you doing that? Well, they were they're just trying to do it to, to be prepared when the inevitable happens. All right. Uh, and by the way, we, this has been an impeachment-free zone today. I was thinking about discussing it, but we'll we'll save my comments about impeachment again till tomorrow, just because there's so much other stuff going on. And I just I firmly believe when it comes to impeachment, and I I understand that there are some of you who cannot get enough of it. I, I get it, but there's not a lot of people who just can't get enough of it. And those of you who can't get enough of it feel incredibly passionate about it. And I appreciate that. And we will devote segments of the program to, to the, to, to you who feel incredibly passionate that old Donald Trump is the most corrupt and venal president ever elected. And, and yes, this is not only is this an impeachable offense, but everything he's done for three years is impeachable. And, you know, people who feel passionately on the other side that these, these current charges are witch hunts and all. I find the whole discussion, in all honesty, to be fatiguing because as I've argued constantly, I just don't see it, it going anywhere. I, I mean, I think four or five months from now, we're going to be in the same situation. And ultimately, voters of America will render their verdict on Donald Trump You know, in less than a year now. Um, and I understand that's not what some people want to hear. Um, we will discuss impeachment, just probably not today. Here is the interesting story, and it comes from the world of sports, but it raises this larger issue. Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick is the former quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Colin Kaepernick rocketed to fame or infamy, depending on your perspective, a couple years ago as as the guy who was sort of behind the I'm going to you know, kneel during the national anthem thing. He became the, the face of that movement, which 
really created a lot of controversy. There were people who said, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world, and there were a lot of people who were really turned off that the NFL didn't stop this. And, you know, we talked about it on multiple occasions. Well, anyhow, Colin Kaepernick ended up, um, he had the... He ended up declining his option with the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers then then cut him, and he hasn't been able to find a job in football since then. Now, uh, there are, you know, nobody knows exactly what happened. There were thoughts that, um, for example, a couple com- com- a couple of teams, Denver in particular, you know, wanted to bring him in, but he failed a physical. There were other reports that other teams might have wanted to bring him in, but he wanted a ton of money, and they didn't want to spend that money on him. So there's litigation involving the NFL, and there's people who think that he's been blacklisted, et cetera, et cetera. Bottom line is the, the NFL has scheduled a workout where teams can go and watch Colin Kaepernick work out to determine whether they want to sign him or not, and it's scheduled for Saturday. Now, th- this whole thing is kind of unusual because it's the first time that the NFL has scheduled a, a workout. Normally, like the agents schedule workouts and scouts kind of come, but I, there's been all this litigation, so who knows exactly what's going on here. But Colin, Colin Kaepernick is going to be trying out in front of teams to decide if, if they want to sign him either for the balance of this year or, um, you know, take a look at him and say, okay, do we want to bring him in this year or maybe do we want to bring him in next year? He hasn't played for a couple years. He's in his early 30s, and, you know, he continues to be a lightning rod. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, we only have a couple minutes. but But here is my question. If Colin Kaepernick, you know, demonstrates arm strength, etc., et shows that he's not hurt, would you like the Green Bay Packers to go out and sign him? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, obviously, Aaron Rodgers is the you know quarterback of, of the present and the, in the short-term future. Colin Kaepernick, you would be bringing him in as a backup. Would you like to see a guy like Colin Kaepernick? No, specifically, would you like to see Colin Kaepernick Play for the Packers, assuming that he's healthy. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls we discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Before going to the phones, we'll start with a couple texts. Jeff, I want to say heck no. There was no way I would want Colin Kaepernick to play for the Green Bay Packers. Um, let's see. Um, at a reasonable price and under the Packers' conditions, um, I, it's fine. I won't be buying his jersey, though. Jeff, I want to say heck no. There is no way I would want to play for him to play for the Packers. Jeff, if Kaepernick has the skills to be a starter, he should definitely be signed somewhere without question. But if he's only going to be a backup, then the media attention wouldn't be worth it. It's the same problem Tim Tebow had. Yes, yeah, see, this is th- – there's no question that Colin Kaepernick – comes with with baggage and and you can think it's fair baggage or not but he comes with baggage and he's clearly going to be a distraction so that's what i think you know teams have to measure it is you've got that off the off the field sort of stuff it's kind of like antonio brown antonio brown a gifted football player but the guy's a, a train wreck um and the question is how how much 
how much do you put up with? I mean, it's interesting. You know, the New England Patriots had signed Josh Gordon, and Josh Gordon's clearly a train wreck. And finally, they decided, okay, this is we're, we can't put up with this. We're going to cut him. So I think that that's kind of the issue that you have. Um, can it, if if somebody's bet if you can get him for the right amount of money, and he's better than what you have and you're convinced that it's not going to be a huge off-the-field distraction, that then I think maybe you take a look at it. I don't think the Packers are in that position, so my guess is they're not going to be in the Kaepernick Derby, but they don't need a quarterback as desperately as somebody else does. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to David in Milwaukee. Hi, David. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. Would you like to see Kaepernick uh, play for the green and gold? Yes, I would, but not for the... Not for the reasons why I'm sure most people are talking about. You see, I'm a Vikings fan, and it, the, the Packers always beat my Vikings. So anything that we can do to, to uh, improve our chances, I'll say yes. But uh, okay, would you like would you like to see him play for your beloved Vikings? No way. Yeah. Based on everything everybody else is saying, there's no way. I yeah. Do like but, you know, I really appreciate your show. Thanks. That's appreciate it. That, absolutely. That's okay. See, now this shows that on, on this program, occasionally we can have conservatives and liberals and we can come together and we can discuss issues and we can have men who are from Mars and women who are from Venus come together and discuss issues. And occasionally we can even have conversations between those of us who support the Packers and some of the rest of you who support the Vikings. 414-799-1620. I do think... Any NFL team that signs him would, would really be taking a, a risk. And to me, the question is, is it, okay, what does he have left? You know, is he going to be able to contribute in a meaningful way? How much money does he want? Because that's at least my understanding that some of the problem, the reason he wasn't getting signed is because he wanted real, he, he wasn't talking about playing football for like the veterans minimum. He wanted a bunch of money. And that's, that's another factor as well. Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're in WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What do you think? Would you like to see him play? I, I, I'm not a Packers fan, uh, and I won't tell you who, who, what team, what <laughs> team is mine, but uh, I, I would like to see him play again. I I, I, I just don't think that – and this his style is not my style. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I'm a retired policeman. Right. Uh, but I don't think this should be held against him his entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if that's the case, but the bottom line is, I think this is a business decision. Yeah, I know, and it's, I think you're right, and it's a complicated business decision because at the end of the day, you know, w- w- of any football team, not just the Packers, you know, any football team, it, it it's a business. You want to win. You want to put a winning product out there. You don't want to. So any player that you bring in. You, you got to do this kind of cost-benefit analysis. How, what what's he going to bring to the field? You know, is he going to alienate a part of the fan base? How badly do we need him? How much money does he want? It's it, it's really it's it's a more of a complicated question, I think, than simply hey, do you, do you bring the guy in and give him a chance? You, you bet. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Okay, I got to ask you, Bob. Who 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 do you root for? <laughs> Come on, you can tell me. The Chicago Bears. Well, you know, that's where they think he's going. All all the smart money says the Bears are, are going to make a bid for him. We'll see. <laughs> okay, thanks for the call. No, I would, I would just, I, I, I didn't hear, I, in Bob's voice, I didn't hear, oh, my gosh, that would be great. No, all the, you know, who, who knows? Who knows? But, I mean, the, you know, the Bears, the, the teams that are mentioned a lot are Philadelphia and, 
and um, the, the Bears are up there because the Bears are clearly, I think, unhappy with the, the progress of their of Trubisky. And so I, I'm just I'm just telling you, a lot of people think that the Bears are probably, to the extent Kaepernick comes back and plays, the Bears have a need for a quarterback. They have a need for a quarterback right now. And if you were going to try to bring, assuming, again, he's not hurt, assuming he can play, assuming the money is right, the the Bears have a need more so than like a team like the Packers do. Uh, you know, you can argue, would, would he be better than the backup that the Packers have? I, I, I don't know how he fits in with the new coach's system. But um, for Bob, who, who, you know, thinks maybe he should get another chance, well, he may very well get another chance, and it might be at your team, <laughs> with your team. The uh, workout is scheduled for Saturday, and, you know, who knows if anybody's going to bite on it or not. Okay, we'll be when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.